This is episode 74 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today we'll be talking about Facing Pain with Courage, part two, with Joe Patterson. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, I'm so glad that you are back to listen to more of Joe Patterson's story. If you remember from last week, he experienced an insanely terrifying moment out in the wilderness in the Black Hills without the right equipment for hiking in December winter weather. And it shook him to his core, left him with nightmares. And so we're going to continue this week with part two of his story. Um, And this won't even get us all the way through his story. um, But I just wanted to invite you to listen again. Uh, Before we dive back into his story, though, I want to encourage you to check out christiantravelers.net, where we have other faith and travel resources. We also have links to Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and of course, in the next few weeks, we will start booking trips as well. So I encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get more information about that. But without further ado, let's hear from Joe. And so it was probably only a a month or two, if that, after that, that I already knew it, you know, it's the last thing I want to do, but I have to go back. I, I have to not only go back there, but I have to go back alone again i have to go back under the same set of circumstances i i can't explain exactly why i knew it had to be that way i just knew that it did Hmm. um i guess what it really felt like was um you know it felt like i lost something up there and the only way i was gonna get it back was gonna be to go back under the same circumstances at the same time of year uh, and basically recreate the exact same experience. So did you wait a year to go again or did you like end of winter? Go? I did. I, I waited over a year. Um, it took a few months just to not only admit to myself that I was going to have to do that, um, but then the first person that I told eventually was my wife. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a tough conversation um, because she knew how dangerous it had been. She knew what it had done to me just mentally and emotionally. And so her completely logical question was, why do you want to go back and recreate that exact experience again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't have a good answer. Um, you know, I didn't really have a compelling argument beyond just, I need it to be this way. Um, and so that, you know, there were a lot of, of stressful conversations about that. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know that she ever completely understood because I don't think anyone really could have. Uh, but eventually she accepted, you know, uh, that I need to, you know, she might not have understood herself, but she understood why I felt the way I did, I guess. Yeah. So I, I knew one thing was going to be different when I went back. I knew that I was going to take Griffin with me. Um, that was essentially the only thing that was going to be different. Um, 
You didn't take better gear or anything? Oh no, that was a that was a part of it for sure. Okay. Uh, I knew I was going to need to have better gear. <laughs> and uh and I did uh you know throughout the the following like the rest of that winter and spring and then the following fall. Uh, I went on camping trips and climbing trips with Griffin, uh, you know, because he was growing up becoming an adult dog. And I I knew I wanted to sort of raise him and acclimate him to the wilderness and outdoors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had started taking him on trips and and he was really taking to the outdoors just shockingly well. Yeah. Uh, and so I had every confidence in him. And then, you know, I had completely replaced my gear. I had much better everything by the time it was time to go back. Um, but for me, I think the final thing was knowing that I was going to be tangling with those deadfalls and stuff again, and knowing that one single bad step could totally, you know, at at best stop me from succeeding again. At worst could get me very badly hurt Mm -hmm. out in the wilderness and not you know I wouldn't have any way to get out yeah and it was crazy how how God just kind of showed up in different ways throughout that whole year of me kind of being haunted by the experience and preparing myself trying to prepare myself to go back I actually had the opportunity to go elk hunting in the mountains of Colorado with my old youth pastor from high school And so we spent four or five days deep in the Rocky Mountains. We packed in to our base camp with mules, (laughs) which was an adventure in and all of itself. You know, that was wild. Uh, (laughs) And we're out there and we're out there with my old youth pastor and his cousin and his uncle, I think. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know his cousin or his uncle and they were from California. And we had gone out to hunt at sunset. We hadn't gotten anything and we're hiking back to base camp and it's dark. And the whole time I'd been out there in the mountains, I'm worried again about my ankle. Um, And it was like, again, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I stepped on a rock wrong hiking back to base camp that night. And I rolled my ankle really bad, Mm. Um, like really bad. And my youth pastor was probably six feet ahead of me on the trail and he heard it pop from where he was and I was in pain. And, and I was like, that just felt like, you know, the nail in the coffin of me going back to the black Hills. Like I I can't possibly, uh, you know, I'm injured now. I'm going to be weak then at best. And you know, the terrain up there, the conditions up there are going to be even worse than this. Uh, so it felt like, you know, it's over, that's it, it's done. And I'm having those thoughts in my head and all of a sudden in the dark there on the trail, my youth pastor's cousin goes, yeah, you need to keep walking on that. And when we get back to camp, I'll fix it. (laughs) In my head, I'm like, sorry, what? (laughs) First of all, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what is this guy on? Um, and he just kind of reiterated himself. He's like, yeah, just keep walking on it. And when we get back to camp, I'll fix it. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, well, I do need to get back to camp at least, obviously. So I went my way back to camp with their help 
And then we get back to camp and this guy has me take my boot off and he starts checking out my ankle, which was like softball size. Oh my gosh. And he starts explaining that he's a doctor and, uh, and he's, he's kind of probing around my ankle with his fingers. And within seconds he goes, Oh, you've injured this before. And I was like, yeah, I, I rolled it, you know, really bad once in college. And, uh, and it's been kind of weak ever since. And and he goes, yeah, I can feel the scar tissue and, and stuff like that. And then he's like, basically, um, cause at this point I'm like, okay, what kind of doctor are you? Uh, <laughs> and he's like, I'm a specialist. And he's like, the simplest way to explain it is there's a movement for every bone joint capsule and muscle in your body. And I know them all. <laughs> I was okay. like, Oh, okay. Uh, and he goes, um, cause I told him, I was like, you know, it's been injured really bad, but I had actually gotten an x-rayed and they couldn't see anything, you know, that was out of the ordinary besides I just rolled it really bad. And he goes, yeah, an x-ray wouldn't pick this up. Uh, but he said a lot of doctors and chiropractors would miss this, but there's a tiny bone in your ankle that can come out of place when you roll it really badly and it won't fix itself. Like it won't heal on its own and it won't show up on x-rays and most people don't know to look for it. And, uh, he's like, so what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to put that bone back in place. And mm -hmm. if I can, then tomorrow it's not going to feel like you rolled your ankle. And I can't believe this guy. Uh, but at this point, I'm like, you seem to know what you're talking about. So sure. <laughs> and so he he kind of finds the spot on my ankle that he is looking for. And he goes, okay, I'm going to pull on it. And if I have found that bone correctly, we should hear a pop. And so he y gives this little yank to my ankle. And I hear this little pop, but it didn't hurt you know, like he was just hurting me worse. And he goes, okay, there, we got it. And then he sort of did some very aggressive massage on my scar tissue. And then he had me stick my foot in a bucket of ice water from the river. Huh. And then he says, okay, go to sleep with your brace on. And when you wake up tomorrow, it's not going to feel like you rolled your ankle. And he was right. <laughs> I woke up the next morning and I had faint bruising, but my ankle was not swollen at all. And I could put my full weight on it and everything. Oh my gosh. And he goes, okay, that's good. And he's like, your, your ankle will actually heal stronger now. Uh, so it won't be as weak as it used to be. And he goes, you know, wear your brace. Cause I had a brace with me. He goes, wear your brace just to be safe the rest of the weekend, but you'll be fine. Don't even worry about it. And I think I hiked probably 20 more miles before we were done with that trip on that ankle. And so that was a, obviously a total God thing that I'd be out in the middle of the wilderness with three other people. And one of them would happen to be a bone and joint specialist who could fix my ankle the way I needed it. Um, and, and then being able to hike in the mountains in the winter, you know, in winter weather, cause it had snowed. And to be able to get that final bit of confidence that I needed to go back to the Black Hills. Absolutely. And so that was kind of the final piece of the puzzle. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, not only had my ankle been fixed on that trip, but that had also been the opportunity to test out 
all the new gear I'd gotten, you know, new boots, new coat, new sleeping bag, new everything. And it was like, okay, I'm ready now. Like, I, I guess I'm really doing this. I guess I'm going back. So it wound up being, I think, like a year and a month or so after I had gone the first time. Uh, I packed up my Explorer and Griffin hopped in and we went back to the Black Hills to try again. And it was kind of the same thing. We drove back to the exact same spot. Um, but this time we got there, you know, pretty much at sunset again a little bit. But this time I had planned it that way. Uh, cause I was going to just sleep in the back of my SUV that night and get an early start the next morning. And so I, I remember I got out and just kind of walked around and I, I walked a little ways into the trees and I could see black elk peak, which is the, the tallest mountain in the black Hills, uh, which we'd kind of be going around on our route. I could see that in the distance and just the way that the woods felt and everything, it was like. I had stepped back in time almost, mm. you know, it was, it was like I was experiencing exactly what I wanted again, which was the exact same set of experiences that had, you know, that I'd experienced the year before. So anyway, we, we slept in the SUV that night, uh, me and Griffin. And by this point, you know, he'd probably been on at least four or five big camping trips and stuff. And, most of those were in cold weather, if not outright winter. Uh, so he's pretty comfortable with things at this point. And he's pretty much a fully adult-sized German Shepherd. You know, he's still young, but, but he's a fully grown dog. And I, one thing that I, I just, I felt better about the trip having him there because South Dakota, the Black Hills, it is mountain lion territory. Hmm. And... I I hadn't really been afraid of them. You know, I hadn't been afraid of of running into one. You know, I grew up in this part of the world, you know, camping and hiking and stuff like that and never really been afraid of animals. Uh, you know, especially mountain lions. I actually love mountain lions. I think they're amazing. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, most of the time they would rather just avoid humans and you know, one could be in your area and you'd never know, <laughs> yeah. you know, because they're way more sensitive of you than you are of them. And chances are they're going to steer very clear of you. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't want any trouble. Um, so I wasn't really afraid. Uh, but at the same time, the year before, that didn't mean I, I wasn't watching the treetops, you know, from time to time yeah. <laughs> um, or just listening a little hard, you know. Uh, and so having Griffin there with me, you know, and, and having, you know, I mean, he looks, he looks like a wolf to people with the untrained eye, I guess. And I figured, you know, whether or not mountain lions think he's a wolf or just a big dog, whether they know the difference, they're probably not going to want to mess with him. You know, I, I've, I figured even just his smell, you know, his presence would be a deterrent. Mm-hmm. So he was going to be with me. We were sleeping in the SUV. And as soon as we kind of get settled in and, and go to sleep, uh, you know, it's super cold again. You know, my gear is better. But honestly, there's only so much gear can do, no matter how good it is. Mm -hmm. And this huge blizzard comes rolling in. 
and the wind is just screaming through the trees. Snow is is coming sideways. I mean, it's not even falling. It's going sideways. And it's shaking the car. I mean, it sounds almost like a hailstorm. And so again, I, I hardly slept at all that night. I mean, just kind of the anticipation and nerves, the whole ordeal coupled with the storm. And in a way it was, it was kind of like this, you know, this primal baptism almost again, back into that experience. You know, it was like the wilderness was saying, Hey, haven't changed still here. Not going to make it easy on you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and, but at the same time, I, I sort of laying there, you know, listening to the blizzard and stuff, I sort of had a bit of resolution, I think that I didn't have before. I was like, yeah, I know it's going to be bad. I, you know, I might not know exactly how bad, but it's going to be, it's going to be tough but I'm here to give it the best shot I possibly can. And, you know, thanks to all the preparations I made and everything that had happened that year, I, I felt a little more ready, I guess. Mm-hmm. So next morning comes and I get started and I get down the trail and, uh, you know, it, it's going well, you know, it's, it's broad daylight. I mean, it's the morning and the blizzard had passed in the night, you know, so it was a sunny day. It was very cold, but, you know, again, I was ready for that. Uh, at this point, I think the only mistake, the big mistake that I had made that would kind of shoot me in the foot later was having a little more experience, but I I think it's a bit more of a moderate to advanced level of backpacking experience to figure out exactly what you need and exactly what you don't. Mm -hmm. And I had overpacked, you know, I, I think just with a little anxiety towards the weather and and not knowing exactly how many days I was going to be in the wilderness, I was carrying probably 15 pounds more than I should have been, mm. which may not seem like a huge number, but if you're at all experienced with backpacking, 15 pounds is a lot. Um, and so I had a good backpack. And so once I got it on, it wasn't too bad, but I was definitely packing more than I needed to be. And that was gonna that was gonna affect me later for sure. Uh, but I got started. I got down the trail, and I got to that gate again. That that gate that had sort of started off my whole experience the year before. And I crossed through it again. It, it clanged shut behind me again, and it was like the exact same thing happened. And I felt this weird, probably almost masochistic sense of satisfaction when that happened I felt like I got it I wanted the exact experience again and I got it and I turned around and I kept going and the trail if anything was more difficult than it had been the year before there were even more deadfalls um and I had to I had to tangle with you know probably eight or nine really bad deadfalls before I'd even gotten past the point that I had been the year before. Um, you know, but it was daytime and I was making decent progress. I got past the point where I had rolled my ankle the year before, kept on going, finally got to the high point of the trail, had gained a lot of altitude and I was really in the heart of the wilderness. 
the route that I had planned on taking, um, I don't remember exactly how many miles it was total, but basically I was going to hike the Willow Creek Trail to a trail called Lost Cabin Trail, take that all the way down almost to Sylvan Lake, which is on the southern border of the Black Elk Wilderness. So I was basically hiking from the northern border of the Black Elk Wilderness to the southern border. And then I was going to go a little further than that to search for the cabin in the Sylvan Lake area. And then I would come back up to the Lost Cabin Trail where it connected to Black Elk Peak Trail number nine. And then I would finish the loop around the Black Elk Wilderness on trail number nine all the way back to where I was parked. Um, so I think all told it was going to be something in the neighborhood of like 12 to 14 miles. Yeah. But these are Black Hills wilderness miles. So nothing is straight, nothing is flat. Yeah. Uh, and it's in the dead of winter. So it was it was quite a lot to bite off. And especially the second time going back, I knew that, you know, so I had allowed myself, you know, I'm gonna take as many days to do this as I, I need to. Um and so I I got to where I felt like it was a pretty good spot that first day, probably three or four miles into the wilderness, found another spot to make camp. Um, you know, at that point, the snow is pretty deep. And as soon as I got off the trail, you know, in some places, especially in the low spots, I mean, we're talking waist deep snow. Hmm. Uh, so I found a kind of a decent spot to make camp and got my tent all set up and stuff again. And the way we did it is I had this little one man tent that had a a rain fly with a vestibule that was just big enough for Griffin. <laughs> and so I would get in the tent and then he would climb in the vestibule and I'd zip the vestibule closed. And, uh, and that's how we do that. <laughs> we, we camped a lot uh, using that setup. Um, yeah. And uh, so he was pretty used to it. And so I got set up for the night and I uh, got in the tent and Griffin got settled in. I had a little blanket uh, so he wouldn't have to sleep on the snow um, so I set that for him and he curled up on it and I fell asleep and it was weird cause I had just had a, a pretty good day, you know, no incidents. And so I fell asleep pretty quickly, kind of thinking like, okay, this isn't going to be the same experience as last year. Like maybe I'm not going to have to deal with just the fear that I did last year, uh, and all that stuff. And so I fell asleep and that was that. And then I remember waking up very forcefully, uh, you know, I wasn't sure exactly how long later, but it's night, you know, it's pitch dark, it's freezing cold again, you know, probably around zero degrees. And, you know, I can see my breath filling up the tent and I woke up kind of in a panic, you know, kind of breathing hard, like looking around. And, and my first thought was, where's Griffin? You know, where's my dog? Uh, and so I look over, turn my headlamp on. I look over, he's right there. He's, he's still in the vestibule. He's kind of looking up at me. And then I realize what woke me up and it's the wind. And so it wasn't snowing again, but it was blowing as hard as a blizzard. Uh, and the wind is just tearing through the trees again. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, yeah, I am kind of back in that experience a little bit. And I, it was so cold. Like, it was so cold that, 
you know, even though Griffin is a German shepherd, he's a Northern breed. They love the snow. They love the cold. I was a little worried about him. So I actually grabbed my, my big coat and I wrapped it around him, uh, and just tried to stay in the sleeping bag and, and stay warm. But it was, it was kind of in that moment where the year, the year before it had kind of, you know, I had taken a hard left turn into a full blown panic attack. And it was kind of the same juncture, but it went a slightly different direction. Um, it was just kind of like everything else around that tent just kind of fell away. Like it was kind of like, I, I felt like I was just like lifted up into this space of, you know, bigness. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it, but it was like, okay, there's three things out here in this wilderness. There's me, there's the Black Hills, and there's God, and that's it. And I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen here, but something is. Uh, and I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I'm I'm ready. I guess, uh, you know, and I knew it was going to be tough. I, you know, I didn't know exactly what was ahead again, but, but at the same time, it was like, okay, I know I'm probably not going to get sleep tonight. It's super cold, but I'm here this time. I'm not afraid. I'm here and I'm staying. And it was a tough night. It was very cold. I didn't sleep at all. Uh, but I made it to the next morning in a very different state than I had the year before. You know, I wasn't panicked. I wasn't freaked out of my mind. Uh, I sort of felt like I've done the work and I've earned my spot here. Mm. Um, and, and it was a very different feeling. And so I got up the next morning once the sun had come up and I was kind of striking camp and thinking about continuing on the trip the way I'd planned all of a sudden, it was just like the wind came out of my sails. I was like, what exactly am I doing out here? Uh, and, and I had this moment where I just had to sit down and think about it a little bit. Because all of a sudden, it was just like that, that fire of purpose that had been burning in me to, to go see the cabin. It just kind of went out. And I was like, what's going on now? And I sat down and I, I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't think the point of me coming back here was because I didn't make it to the cabin last year and I really need to make it to the cabin. I think the point of me coming out here again was that I needed to prove to myself that I could do it, you know, because I failed last time. And I had, you know, my mask kind of ripped off and I had to look in this mirror that the wilderness held up and, and face up to all my shortcomings and I had to sit with that failure and it really hurt. And I think the reason why I had to come back was so that I could prove to myself that I could do it, hmm. you know, that I could face the same circumstances, the same difficulties, the same fear and come out with a different outcome. And I think that's what the point of this whole thing was. And that felt right. And, and so I, I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I said, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, okay, so do I just go back now? 
Yeah. Uh, and then as soon as I had that thought, I was like, nope, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just knew right away. That's not the answer that that doesn't sit well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well then what do I, what do I do? And then it was like, I looked up and in the distance, I see black elk peak and it just hit me. You know, I, I see this mountain, you know, framed in the morning sun. And it was like, I got to go climb that mountain. And, uh, you know, the trail that I was originally going to be going on was going to take me almost up to the summit of Black Elk Peak anyway, as I wound my way back. So I basically just kind of took the little detour to the cabin off the itinerary and decided to finish the loop and summit Black Elk Peak on the way. And that felt good. That felt right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to climb Black Elk Peak on this trip. And so I figured I'd probably take, you know, two to three days to do that. You know, at the pace I was going, I mean, it was slow going with the snow, with the deadfalls and all that stuff. So I figured I'd take another probably two days. Uh, You know, I'd make the summit of Black Elk Peak, camp somewhere up in that area, and then finish probably the eight miles or so. I think it's six to eight miles from the summit of Black Elk Peak to the trailhead where my car was parked. And so that day, um, you know, it was fairly straightforward. I mean, I, I was tired, um, you know, just because I hadn't slept and I had, it was, it'd been a really tough hike just to get where I'd gotten to. But I made the summit of Black Elk Peak that day. And that in and of itself was a pretty special thing. Um, you know, the Black Hills, they're, they're just a very powerful place. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to put your finger on it exactly. But, I mean, they've been a, a sacred place to Native Americans long before, you know, they were to me. Uh, they've always been regarded as just a, a place of power or a, pla- a place of vision, really. And uh, the closer I got to the top of the mountain, the more it was, it, it just felt like everything else was falling away, you know, and if you've ever climbed mountains at all, you know, that's, that's a feeling I've felt, you know, on the summit of a lot of mountains, it just, the world just kind of shrinks. And I was very much experiencing that. And I actually, I got to the point where the trail spur broke off the trail I was hiking to the last like quarter mile to the summit of, of Blackout Peak. And so I actually took my backpack off and left it there. And, uh, Griffin and I are just approaching the summit and, and, and I just started to get this, this feeling of, you know, joy. It was, it was hard to describe it. It just, it felt right, you know, and it felt healing, I guess, a little bit. And, uh, and I, I get almost to the top of, of Black Elk Peak. And the last part of that hike is actually a set of a couple of metal staircases, these wrought iron staircases um, to take you up to the very top. And there's an old fire observation tower up there and stuff. And I see those stairs and my heart kind of sinks because they are, they're not solid wood steps or anything. Mm -hmm. They're metal grates. And Griffin does not like these metal crates. Uh, you know, he's been on some stairs and walkways that have them and he just, he just can't, you know, I mean, his paws kind of go through them a little bit mm-hmm. and they just made him really nervous. You know, he could see through them and I think that freaked him out. And so he gets to these stairs and he can't go 
any further. And that really kind of broke my heart a little bit because I was like, you know, this is as much his trip as mine, and we're so close to the top of this mountain, and and he can't finish it with me. Uh, you know, and and I tried to kind of coax and encourage him a little bit, and he just wasn't he just wasn't having it. He wasn't feeling it. And so I was like, ah, oh, this, this sucks, but I'm going to have to finish summoning this mountain without him. Uh, and so I went up the stairs and as soon as I got out of sight, you know, he starts whining and, and stuff. And, you know, that's heartbreaking as a dog owner to have to hear that. But, uh, the, I was like, well, he's just going to have to wait at the bottom of the stairs for me. And so I go a little further. I, I climb the last set of stone steps up to the observation tower and the the platform and, and walking through the door of that old, you know, defunct fire observation tower up there onto the platform at the summit, it was it was like the culmination of the whole journey that came before it, you know, and it, it was just like this weight that I had been carrying ever since 2007, really, um, you know, just that heaviness and that pain, it just kind of vanished into the sunlight. I, you know, and I felt light and I felt free and it was just such a, a special moment. And it was made even more special by, as I was just kind of drinking it in up there on the summit, all of a sudden I hear a noise from behind me in the fire tower. And then Griffin comes through the door. Uh, he had apparently, he had gotten up the courage to get up the stairs and he had followed me up to the top. Mm-hmm. And so I got to celebrate that moment with him there on the summit. And that was really emotional. Um, and so that, that was just incredible. You know, it was the, it was the high point of the entire experience. Uh, and it was, it, it was just unreal, you know, the culmination of, of the year that had come before it and all that darkness and pain kind of, you know, coming to a close and, and really this moment of personal victory on the top of that mountain. It was an incredible experience. Um, but if you know anything about climbing mountains, you know that summit experiences are relatively short and you've got to get back down. Mm-hmm. And so after a few minutes on the summit, I kind of turned my attention to, okay, it's time to keep going and, and get back on the trail. And that's when I kind of had to acknowledge the fact that I, I just kind of had this growing pain in my stomach. Uh, I had kind of been feeling it very small ever since that morning and it was starting to grow and my head was kind of starting to ache a little bit and I kind of thought you know at first I kind of just chalked it up to well I didn't sleep last night I'm really tired I've been doing this strenuous hiking like it's natural to feel Mm -hmm. you know worn out and and so I got back down to my backpack and I got back down the trail and so at that point the the trail has been coming up the sort of the southwestern slopes of Black Elk Peak. And that had actually made it fairly easy going because the higher slopes of the mountain exposed to the southwest sun, some of the snow had kind of melted off and and made the going pretty easy. And once I got on the the east side of the mountain where everything was in shadow, the snow started to get really deep again, like knee deep on average. Mm. And all of a sudden I couldn't see the trail anymore. I'm wading through the snow and then the forest got thicker as well. And the deadfalls got worse. Mm. 
And so instantly it was kind of like, okay, we're back in the thick of it. And it's worse now than ever. And also I, you know, that kind of happened. And as that happened, I started to get sicker and I, I started to realize, okay, there's something going on here beyond just being tired or, or being worn out. Like something's wrong with me, I think. Hey, Christian Travelers, I am going to pause my interview with Joe right there. It is such an amazing story, and there is still more crazy turns ahead in the road. Um, It's awesome that he has started off his hike with such an amazing start, but uh, things don't stay that way through the whole journey. So I'm going to go ahead and pause right here uh, and encourage you to tune back in next week to hear more of his story. But until next time, safe travels and God bless.